0: part 2 chapter 12 of the beach of dreams this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org reading done by jules harlock the beach of dreams by h d veres stackpole part 2 CHAPTER Twelve: THE QUARREL Next morning broke fine. She was awakened by voices quarreling and came out to find a breezy and absolutely cloudless day, with the sun running smooth and the sunlight on the far islands. The two men, who had fallen out over some trifle, were wrangling like fishwomen, Bompard having the worst of it as his ineffectual southern oaths were no match for the language of the other the girl stood looking at la touche but he seemed not to mind in the least then she turned away and walked down to the boat she heard vompard say there you have set her off talking like that and what Latouche replied she could not hear but she guessed it was something not complimentary to Bompard her herself. The boat was half full of rain water. She rinsed her hands in it. Then, standing with a warm sun upon her, she almost forgot the men, looking at the purple islands and the gulls like new-minted gold and the great arch of the bay lined out with the thread of creamy foam. After a while, turning around, she saw that Bompard was lighting a fire with the remains of the wood, and coming up, she helped in the business. He had arranged the little fire between pieces of rock so as to make a stand for the kettle, and Latouche was opening the hermetically sealed canister of tea with his knife. Neither man was speaking, and the meal passed off almost in silence. She felt that any moment the coral might break out again and her instinct was to get away from them. She had left the fisherman's knife and belt in her cave. She went to the cave and strapped the belt around her waist. The boat-hook was lying on the sand. She picked it up and, carrying it, walked away down the beach in the direction of the cache. The boat-hook was a weapon of sorts and it was better out of the men's way. The knife was different, it had come to her that in this place it was better to be armed, and she determined always to wear it. But no sounds of quarrelling followed her, only the quarrelling of the gulls, and half a mile away, looking back, she saw that the men had separated. La Touche was standing by the boat, and Bompard was walking towards the Lizard Point. She sat down to rest for a moment and she watched the figure of Bompard. It grew smaller and smaller till it reached the point, then it vanished over the rocks. She saw La Touche walk away towards the caves, he disappeared, and the beach, now destitute of life, lay sung to by the sea and flown over by the gulls. Nothing speaking of man lay there but the boat that looked like a toy cast there by a child. It held her eyes, focused her thoughts, and became the centre of sudden longings, a desired soul searching as the desire for water, the desire for civilization, for the things and people that she knew. Her companions had become horrible to her. To go on living with them seemed appalling. The rocks, the sea, the gulls, even the rain, all these fitted with her mind. They seemed in some way familiar, but with the men she had nothing in common. It is worse to be wrecked on a social state than on a desert shore. She was wrecked on both. She recognized, surely, that at the rate things were going, she would soon, so far from being above her companions, be below them on account of her weakness she recognized that superiority of mind would count little after a while with these minds incapable of distinguishing grades or values beyond money value and the distinction of master from man and that sex so far from being a protection would be a danger her brave mind allowed itself to be borne along for a while on these currents of thought. Then it reacted against them, repeating again the old formula that to think here on other things than the moment and the material was to die or to go distraught. She got up and shifted her position, sitting with her back towards the boat. She could see the penguins. now drilling beneath the cliff and beyond the penguins the figurehead of the ship and beyond that the foaming beach with its snowstorms of gulls she was soon to see something that many would travel a thousand miles to witness but unconscious of what was coming she sat watching the penguins then with the boat hook point she began scratching figures on the sand but with difficulty on account of the length of the staff. Sitting like this, her eyes were suddenly attracted seaward to a point in the water beyond the line of the figurehead. Things were moving out there, moving rapidly, and drawing in inshore. shore, and now riding an incoming wave like a half-submerged canoe. She saw a dark, elongated form. It came shooting through the foam, just like a beaching canoe, and as it dragged itself up the sand, a sound like the far-off roar of a line came echoing along the cliffs. She knew at once what it was. A sea elephant. Prince Salim had described them and how they came ashore at Kerguelen to breed journeying there through thousands of miles of ocean and arriving in hundreds and thousands at different points of the coast. This was the first of the great herd, and, as she watched, more were coming, breasting the waves and breaking from the foam and coming up the beach like vast, rapidly moving slugs. The sight held her fascinated. Every newcomer saluted the land with a roar. They were the males, The females of the herd still far out at sea, beyond the islands, would not land to give birth to their young for another fortnight. She watched till perhaps two hundred had beached. Then the invasion ceased. There was no more roaring, and over the army of invaders, lumping along hither and thither on the flat rocks, the seagulls flew and screamed in anger, or in welcome, who could say? Prince Selim had spoken of how the sea elephants fought together on landing. He was wrong. The great far-distant brutes, instead of fighting, seemed resting and sunning themselves, and the girl, rising up, came along in their direction. She had forgotten Bompard and Latouche. She reached the river, which was spading from the recent rains, but great flat, topped rocks made it always possible to cross. She crossed it. The sea elephants were close to her now and seemed not in the least disturbed by her presence. They lay here and there, vast brutes, twenty feet in height, weighing tons, raising themselves occasionally on their flippers, and then sinking back to rest with a sigh of contentment. She measured them with her eye, noted the short trunks that seemed so useless, the tusks, the old scar marks caught in battle, and the splendor of their strength and mass and muscle. Like the land elephants, there was something about them terrible yet benign. She drew closer. As regarded animals of any good sort, she had the fearlessness of a child, the instinct that would have been terrified by a reptile or anything truly ferocious, however masked by fur or feather. These things she felt to be absolutely harmless, as regarded herself, and they were a million years closer to her than the penguins. The penguins had amused her, but for all their quaintness and politeness they seemed as far apart from her as mechanical toys. Her heart had not gone out to them with that love of living things which lies in the heart of children, of women and most men. She drew closer still. The great brutes were now watching her steadfastly, but seemingly without fear. She had left the boat-hook behind a mile away, dropping it because of its weight, and with the exception of the knife in her belt she was unarmed. Perhaps they knew this vague in their brains must have lain memories of great hurts when they were the hunted and the men the hunters. But this vision evidently stored up no antagonistic feelings. Possibly they knew her sex, and possibly the instinct which never failed them told them that she was friendly. Less than ten yards away from the nearest bull she sat down on a piece of rock, AND NO SOONER HAD SHE TAKEN HER SEAT THAN THEY SEEMED IMMENSELY CLOSER, AND HER OWN POSITION ONE OF ABSOLUTE HELPLESSNESS. WITH A SUDDEN RUSH, MOVING WITH THAT SWIFTNESS WITH WHICH SHE HAD SEEN THEM MOVING ON FIRST LANDING, THE BULL COULD HAVE REACHED HER, BUT THE BULL DID NOT MOVE HIS LORDSHIP FROM THE SEA. FILLED WITH THE ABSOLUTE AND COMPLETE CONTENTMENT OF THE MALE AT REST, Moved only his trunk, he seemed sniffing her, and the momentary fear that had seized her passed utterly away. She could sniff him too, just as cows fill the air with the fragrance of milk, the herd filled the place with the scent of fish and fur, and a tang of deep sea like the smell of beach, only sharper and fresher. Then, just as people talk to horses and dogs, leaning forward a bit she began to talk to him the effect of the sweet soothing voice was magical and for a moment not in the least soothing the near bulls moved evidently deeply disturbed in their minds the majority including the biggest and nearest bull turned halfway as if to get off then turned again as if to renew their astonishment the girl laughed The timidity of this vast force seemed to her less timidity than masculine awkwardness, as though a number of heavy old gentlemen, taking their ease in their club, were suddenly put to confusion and flight by a female charmer appearing before them. End of Part 2 Chapter 12